All right, listeners, we've got an update. Before diving in, we're thrilled to share that Gina Shear, our multi-talented executor and director of people and culture at Bolt, who captivated us in the last episode, will now be joining the Electric Theory team as a co-host. The synergy just got real. Shifting gears to our spotlight guest, meet Craig J. Lewis. He's the visionary and gifted thinker behind GigWage, the company revolutionizing payroll for the modern era. But it doesn't stop there. The basketball courts to the boardroom to authoring the sports of sales. Craig's story is one of diversity and drive. Living by the motto, go for it. We're ready to dive deep. Welcome, Craig. You have 24 hours a day. Organize your day. Work hard. I'm here to talk about success. dive into your background a little bit about your story got to hear your story actually at that event that x club event i don't think i had a chance to to hear your story before in that that much depth hearing that you use a a project baby i was like it makes sense makes sense i was like it makes sense to me hey the project baby i was like oh okay one of the same but that's where that energy comes from tenacity resilience and i think those are in special kinds of people so we love to hear that story and start from there yeah, I'm a real one, man. Like, I, and I don't mean that in a cocky way. I tell people all the time, it's, my parents always laugh because I'm like, I'm just speaking the truth. I didn't, I didn't come up the hardest, but I didn't come up the best either. And so I think a lot of, a lot of who I am today, and we were talking about resilience and kind of that mentality to figure things out, get things done, and really endure, definitely come from my upbringing. I'm 41 now, so you, you start to get a little bit more introspective and look back on why things are the way they are. Right. You also start to realize you've always been who you are. But yeah, I was born to teenage parents. My mom, I think, was 19. Dad was 17 or 18. I think my mom had just graduated high school. My dad was about to finish up. We're from DFW. My mom was at McKinney High School. My dad had... I think he got kicked out of McKinney High School. I think he was at Lincoln at the time with his dad. And then I I came into the world. And that's really where my journey started. Seeing I talk a lot about my mom. She that's where I get my like empathy and my heart and my passion from. And then my dad, I, I that's where I get my hustle from. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my heart from my mom, my hustle from my dad. And I just I didn't have anything like a North Star to really look at, but I've always just figured shit out along the way. And then once I found this thing called business and entrepreneurship and company building, which is essentially a collection of people that align around a a unique mission, I, I just applied who I was to that. And then I really do it every day in honor of my parents, my grandparents, my great grandparents. I think they're just such phenomenal, special people. And there's millions of people like this that will never get their just due, mm-hmm. that will never be celebrated. Mm-hmm. And if I look at my parents and their parents and my cousins and my aunts and uncles, and I'm like, man, these are phenomenal people. Right. They'll never be celebrated for what they've endured, what they figured out, what they were able to put something with something and get something. Right. And so I, I show up every day to do something special so that those that are a part of my lineage can be celebrated too. Whether mm-hmm. it's directly or through me, so yeah, my background was hard, but man, I don't, I love it, man. I wouldn't have wanted to come up like privileged. Right. Yeah. Like I tell people all the time, 
I now I want my people to be privileged. My kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's how the cycle works. But I I think there's real power in poverty. Like people talk a lot about the privilege effect and we're like, oh, people have audacity because they're privileged. They talk about a mediocre type of person that is privileged, has the audacity to ask for the job, apply for the job or whatever. And I think that's true. But I yeah. think there's equal power in poverty or not having it because I ain't got nothing to lose. So I got the same audacity that you got as a privileged person. Right. Yeah. But it, so I just tap into that. So that's who, a little bit about who I am and how it ties into where I'm at today, man. But um, yeah, I, I love the game. Yeah. I love the game. Love the game. All right. So this uh, and like Gina's gonna definitely drive this, but I I want to touch good. on the legacy part because that was something that resonated with me when I heard you speak that particular evening because it's not something that like we always hear like oh legacy and it's like it, it really connected the dots for me whenever you expressed how one of your investors put their, they put it in their kid's name yeah, like, and mm-hmm. their kid's trust. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like this yeah, it's real. It's really this for is real. Them. Yeah, yeah. It's really for yeah. them. This is really well, making legacy tactical, making it uh practical, making it uh, applicable. So it's not just this word or this pie in the sky thing. So no legacy is about what you're leaving behind and you can deposit things into your kids, your grandkids, your family, your relatives, your friends, your employees, your customers, you can deposit confidence and right. aspiration and all that stuff. But you can also deposit legacy into from a financial vehicle perspective, from an influence perspective. So things along the journey that I've seen that have started to unravel the tacticalness of legacy are like when I first started GigWage, one of my early investors was a guy named Ed Showmeyer. And literally, while I was fundraising and he was uh, putting a $100,000 check, what he called a small check, i never forget it. Ed was a, a very well-to-do guy in Fort Worth, very well-known. And I was raising $600,000 to start the company. And I was nickel and dominant, hustling. Yeah. 10000 25000 50000 just trying to pull it all together. And he said, keep doing your thing and come back to me as you get closer to your target. And so we, I, I drove to Fort Worth one day. Boom. He knew the best restaurants in Fort Worth. This guy knew <laughs> the duck off hole in the walls and the high end stuff. So he took me to some great burger joint. We had a great time. Ed was in his 80s. And I never forget this day he had a beer, which is a big deal when you're getting a little older. So he was feeling right. a little frisky, having fun. <laughs> and we go back to his spot. We sit down. And he said, what's, what's the biggest check that you got to date? And I said, oh, I got a couple of people that's put in 50. He was like, 50000 I was like, yeah. He was like, okay. Pulls out his personal checkbook and says, okay, I'll write you a small it. check. And then he wrote me a $100,000 check on the spot. Bam, here's a personal $100,000 check. It's small for me, but it'll be your biggest check. He was flexing a little bit. But point being, while I was raising that money from Ed, he was right. He had wrote a $10 million check to TCU to kick off the new funding for the basketball arena, which is now known as the Ed and Ray Showmeyer Arena. Oh, wow. And a lot of people watch Billions and Succession and a lot of these shows about wealthy families. And there's a scene early on in Billions where Bobby wants to get the naming rights to the library or something like that. I've seen that in real life with Ed. Right. And I said, Ed, you've got – so I got to go through this process with him. Now, he they already – his name is all over the Fort Worth Zoo, which is a world-renowned zoo, right. the museums, just all kind of stuff. 
But I wanted to feel that process and learn. And he told me one thing. He said, Craig, I wrote that check because I ain't going to be here long. And if my name is going to be on the building, I want to sit in the gym. I want to see a game played in this building. And he stroked a $10 million check. At the same time, SMU was raising. So SMU and TCU were competing on upgrading their gyms. So I got to see this battle. And I think TCU ended up doing like, it was like $70 million that they put into that arena. But Ed kicked it off with a $10 million check, light light work. (laughs) Ed was the former CEO of Alcon Labs, which is anything that goes in your eye, your nose, or your ears, drops, contacts, any of that stuff is all Alcon, A-L-C-O-N. It's green. You, you, you won't miss it. I got to see stuff like that or like investors putting, investing in my company and breaking their investment up into the trust of their kids right. so that it would be Susie is on one line of the cap table, but then Susie's daughter's trust is on the second line and Susie's mm-hmm. son's trust is on this line. And so they'll take that half a million dollars and break it up in between them and the trust for their kid. And so I started to see, I didn't know anything about this stuff, Yeah, but that's where I learned. It was through the being fortunate enough to build a company that's thinking about scale and having legacy on my heart and on my mind. I got to see how that plays out tactically. That's awesome. What do you think gave you that perspective? Your parents, I assume they weren't entrepreneurs. You didn't specifically say that, but you said you didn't have a North star to look to. What, what made you want to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, nothing. I I, I tried it just because I did my thing, but it was I'm a thinker. And once I decided that I want my wanted my parents to be celebrated, wanted my grandparents to be celebrated, wanted my family to be celebrated, and I wanted our last name to mean something, that's where I landed. That's where I came up on the legacy, and then I started backing into it from there. And 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 trying to leave a legacy, the best path that I backed into was entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So it was really just how you got to show your work in math. Yeah. I was like, okay, the, I know the answer here is algebra, right? Is got to work answer, backwards I and figure it out. backwards, right? And that's where I landed. My best shot at doing that would be to uh, build a company. That's awesome. Can you give us a little bit of high level what Gig Wages? Yep. Gig Wages is a, it's a payroll company to help uh, businesses pay independent contractors, freelancers, and gig workers. We do what's called gig force management powered by instant payments. So most people think of workforce management. How do you onboard employees, mm-hmm. benefits, uh, HR, compliance, and payroll? We do that, but we do that for companies specifically for independent contractors in 1099. How do you onboard benefits, background checks, payments, which are all very unique for the modern workforce, which works right. uh, when they want, how they want, where they want. We're the technology set for companies to be able to power uh, that type of workforce. And what, not necessarily having a background in this, like what made you want to go into that field specifically? Nothing. Again, <laughs> the, the, a lot of people come on and tell you all this intentional stuff. And I'm intentional once I make a decision. But I had just landed on, you know, I, I was finished playing ball. I had tried my hand out in some business and failed miserably. And I just went and got a job. And I ended up working at ADP, which is the largest payroll mm-hmm. company in the world. And I was selling for them and I was pretty good at it and, while I was there, they went from services to rolling out their first cloud-based product, so I got to sell this technology. And I think what hooked me, though, was the combination of technology and money. Mm-hmm. Those two things were really sexy to me. And so when I was like, oh, when ADP introduced their cloud-based payroll service, this technology to help people get their money, 
I could work with that. You know what I mean? And I just, I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I just stuck with it until I got the courage to become an entrepreneur again. But I went out and became an expert in all things, payroll, payments, workforce management. I was making good money. I liked technology. I liked other people, helping other people get their money. And so I just stuck with it. Yeah. This is a good segue into our next question. Josh had pulled these stats earlier. As of 2023, the fintech space is worth $179 billion. With that being said, how are you different? How is your company different? How do you, What sets you guys apart? Yeah. We're very B2B focused and we're not just fintech. It's it's HR tech that has fintech embedded in it. Mm-hmm. What we do that's very different is we don't just think about the uh, end user or the employee or the freelancer. We think about how do we make the lives of the 10 people in the company, how do we make their lives easier, the 10 responsible for paying the 10000 So we help the 10,000 people get their money when they want, how they want, where they want. But what we do that's really special is – We help those 10 people in the payroll department, what we like to call the office of the CFO in operations, in people strategy. We help those people just as much, if not more, as the 10,000 people getting paid. Sure. So that's what we do that's different. It's really comprehensive where most fintech solutions are unbundled products and specifically a lot of times B2C. We're a very comprehensive bundled product and we're B2B2C. So we touch everybody in the kind of chain of the 1099 community and so we're really a platform yeah like yeah. That's, that's very interesting that you there's a couple things interesting b2b it being that it's still technically b2c mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. overall it's still going to a person totally but i do the approach because i think there was like thirty thousand something startups in in fintech now so it's not necessarily oversaturated but it's definitely a hot market or for quite some time and with I think China has 90% of their 90% of people that live in China uses fintech platform. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah. obviously a lot of opportunity there. And you feel like the best way to differentiate yourself is go to the one the go to the business who's selling or I'm sorry, go to the business who's essentially like a servicing the, the masses. Totally. So my yeah. competitors oftentimes will have to go one by one to get those 10,000 people. Right. And then they may churn and there's no stickiness to it. Let's take a cash app or a Venmo. And those are sticky products at this point. But you have to have a massive budget and you have to have some really good tech to keep and and retain that user. For us, I just need to go get one company Mm -hmm. and I get access to that 10,000 every payday. Right. Every single payday. And then because it's the gig economy, 1099 economy, they work for two or three or four different companies and platforms. Yeah. Right. So there's just this flywheel that we have that's pretty unique, or some people call it a network effect. Right. But our wedge the, is is payroll. And where everyone else is, again, they've tried a lot of different wedges. Payroll is really hard, which is why mm-hmm. a lot of people avoid it, and it's risky. We just have expertise there. and Yeah, the B2B play for us is consumer acquisition that's really sticky. Right. Speaking of consumer acquisition, what is it like for when you're going to a a business? What does that customer acquisition process look like? Yeah, so we've been on a pretty interesting journey since I started the company. When we first started, we were like really small businesses that we were working with. So it was like pretty easy, like self-service, inbound type stuff. Especially if it's a lot of 99 contractors. 
which is what you would think. And so we did that for a while. Probably over the last couple of years, though, we've really moved up market. Yeah. So you run a we run a real enterprise sales process. Typically, the the chief financial officer is our main point of contact, Correct. and we're selling to the office of the CFO. We're selling across the organization, so we have to convince anywhere from four to about six and a half decision makers, typically around finance, HR, and tech and operations. And so we've got to sell all of those constituents within an organization. We get found, we get discovered, or we get a response from our outbound. Then we present, we do discovery, we do a demo, we sell across the org. After we sell across the org, somewhere in there we've probably presented pricing, which is enterprise pricing. So right now our average customer pays us anywhere from $120,000 to about $500,000 a year. Uh, We present pricing, uh, which we have very dynamic pricing. We win that business, and then there's an implementation process, an onboarding process. And then we've now started to get really good at upselling. So we land a customer at 120000 but by the time we've done our expansion strategy, they may be paying us four or $500,000 through upsell products, cross-sell, and then powering their growth. Customer acquisition for us is we can spend a lot on it because we make so much per customer, but it's an evolving, iterative process that we're continuously learning We don't have our first million-dollar customer yet. I think we'll land that next year, but we're continuously moving up and up. And I think the next kind of play is, like I said, at least a million dollars a year of revenue from one customer, which we're excited about. Will be that tipping point. Yeah, I I think it's a series of things. What I tell my team all the time is if you want to win a million-dollar deal, you have to be able to consistently sell and service a $100,000 deal. So call it 10 of those or five $250,000 deals right. or whatever. So the tipping point is getting the company to a point to where you can not only just sell the lower tier customer, but then service them as well. So if you can sell and service a collective of them, then you're in a good position to go out and sell the next tier. So for us, when we start selling $100,000 customers, it was only because we had sold a bunch of ten to $50,000 customers a year and service them properly, yeah. and they have customer requests, feature requests. They have, so you start to build this scar tissue from selling and servicing those customers, and then you can just you can up your game, which is why I know we'll sell several seven-figure customers next year because we're already, we've already sold and serviced enough business right. to prove that we can do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, this is, uh, this is a master class right here because, like, I don't think people understand how enterprise sales work. Yeah. Being in the space, it was something that we just had to learn mm-hmm. on our own. Yeah. But having just heard you, I'm like, damn, that's exactly how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, it's that consistency it's, with those deals. Yeah, it's that. But having to have those champions within that organization, having to go through the CFO, COO, mm-hmm. basically just threading it through the needle. Yeah. And it's a strenuous process, but it's definitely a rewarding one once it's done because it's a sticky situation when you're in. And like I said, a lot of products, especially like in that fintech neo bank space, is B to B to C, and it's a lot different approach. So appreciate sharing that enterprise approach. Indeed, yes, sir. We're gonna dive into culture. Yeah, let's jump into let's culture. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm curious. This is not at all scripted. How big is your team right now? So my team is actually down to twelve FTEs. There's a good story here, actually, though, and this is something that's super important. We we ran extremely lean for a number of years. We were about six employees, 
and I always say nothing scales like code and technology. So I've always been a lean guy. We've raised $20 plus million plus to date and at one point got drunk on the juice and then started hiring a bunch of people. So at our peak in 21, we were about 40 employees and growing. And we had a clear plan to get to 125 employees. And obviously the market shifted and things changed, especially in the venture capital and tech space. Sure. And mm-hmm. Just things got really interesting. So I had made the decision early, late 21, early 22, to get back to my old ways. And from 2022, Q1, to now, we've cut operational costs by 65%. We've obviously shrunk the team by two-thirds, 25, yeah, 25, two-thirds, whatever. So somewhere between 50 and 60, 70%. But we've grown revenue by uh, several hundred percent. Wow. And we have capacity to double our revenue without only adding a couple of headcounts. So it won't inversely match. We don't have to double the team to double the revenue. We'll add a couple of pieces. And the reason this is important is because one of the questions that gets asked in networking, and I do a lot of, I sit down, I talk, and one of the things you're typically judged by is, you know, how big is your team? Right. And what they right. ask is, how big is your team? And that's something I'm excited to answer more and more now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I used to be conscious about it. Like, ah, I only got six people or right. whatever. But it's not about that. It's right. actually about it's about your revenue. It's about your profitability. It's about how many customers do you have. It's about how much, uh, for us in a fintech, how much money do you move? Mm-hmm. And even that is a little bit vain. But anyways, we have 11 employees. We are a fully remote team. We always have been. At six people, we were fully remote. At 40 people, we were fully remote before the pandemic. And now today, we are fully remote. So we have done a lot of work around cultivating a culture in a remote-only team mm-hmm. across different sizes of the org. What does that look like? What does the culture look like? Yeah, especially from having all remote workers. Yeah, it's different for sure. It works for me really well, and then I think I tend to hire people that it works for really well. I don't think just saying that we're remote actually does it justice. Not only are we remote, but we are extremely flexible. So. You know, moms need to pick up their kids, work out in the middle of the day. Dads need to do whatever, or dads need to pick up the kids in the middle of the day. Doctors take vacation, weekends, early mornings, late, whatever. Can you get your work done? And I think uh, being remote and being extremely flexible and extremely modern, being extremely entrepreneurial, being trusted in an autonomous environment is very much who we are at gig wage. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of micromanaging except for when necessary. I think when you hire top talent, you have to be very macro in how you manage. Mm -hmm. And if you find yourself micromanaging, you probably haven't hired top talent. Mm -hmm. Now there are some things, training, et cetera. We're a small organization. We train by fire, sink or swim. (laughs) Uh, We've actually been smart about that too. So we have very clear sections of we think the best two places to learn the business are in customer support and sales. Mm-hmm. And we're very strong in customer support. And you by spending time, I spend time in customer support. My leadership team spends time in customer support. If we bring new people in, that's the best place to learn and mm-hmm. get trained on the business. So no there's a lot of flexibility in what we do. And it's driven by being remote, which tells you a lot of the type of people you need yeah. and the type of culture you need. Yeah, But we do a lot on Zoom. 
a lot of video, like a lot of video. Sometimes we just sit on video and work together to get that interaction. Yeah. We do a ton on Zoom. How do you think you've been able to bring these top talent employees together and be able to keep that company culture when you guys really are remote apart from working just on Zoom? Listen to what you you have to pay people well. I think that's important to get people's attention when they're with top talent. But listen to what I just said. Like you can come work at GigWage and do meaningful work, help hundreds of thousands of people get paid hundreds of millions of dollars, like have real impact. Mm -hmm. But you can essentially work when you want to work, how you want to work, where you want to work. Now, in general, it's like some of our customers, like our customer support hours. Eventually, we think we will do like a 24-7 kind of customer support thing. It's just not necessary right now and probably not feasible. But you got to like, if you work customer support, you've got like a a kind of set time you have to work. But even then, because everybody can do customer support, if you need to do your thing, somebody can fill in. So the the way you attract talent is great compensation and great culture. And for us, our culture is phenomenal because it's so flexible. It's so autonomous. But then we, one of our main core values is lead with empathy. So everyone is there for their brother or their sister, right? And they're there to understand what you need when you need it. Do you need some time off? Do you need an in-person meeting? Do you need this weekend? One of the things I actually just implemented because we do so much Zoom, literally yesterday I told the whole team to cancel for the rest of the week all internal meetings. Mm. Just get away, go, if you want to work, if you want to go watch TV, and just if there's a stand-up, uh, all hands, a any internal meetings, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, off the schedule. Just go do your thing. So that's the kind of culture we have. People like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. especially with who the workforce, the majority of the workforce Bingo. is today. That's what it's about, right? Yeah. Like it's about Adapting understanding. to the workforce, exactly. who the workforce is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like yeah. I'm glad somebody finally said it, right? Because that's what it's about. It's about yeah. adapting to the market ultimately, right? And like when we say this or you hear this, it just sounds like something that's not applicable, right? Yeah. And for me, when I really sat down and I'm deep into the weeds, I'm like, the market is actually is people, and we got to just start saying the word people up. instead mm-hmm. of just saying market. Because when you're like, oh, what about the market? What about the people? If you say that, it reframes it in yeah. people's heads and minds to then yeah. treat a person like a person and not like a dollar sign, right? Up. You know what I mean? So if you understand, okay, I need to adapt to this particular market, and like you said it you know, several times, they work when they want, how they want, you know, and where, the, where they want. So it's one of those things where – you have to be flexible in that way. You just came back from Laguna, and we've had had meetings while you were out there, Gina. And I've witnessed her run literally miles and circles around an organization that we, you know, partner with, and they'll need twelve people on one job. Yep. So you do the same thing, way faster. Totally. And it's just it's all about like the talent and people that you definitely bring on, but at the same time, it's like creating a culture to where you can optimize that talent and create that efficiency absolutely so outside of you asked this question like outside of the zooms and these all team meetings do you have any other things in place to where you guys are able to connect and build build that connection we're truly remote so we're not like all in dallas i get on one of the cool things we do is when we get on the zoom i ask people what country they're in like my team literally is like on the move they get to work (laughs) The, one of the requirements at GigWage, we equal opportunity employer, the only thing I discriminate against are PCs. So if you've got a MacBook, <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a MacBook, 
if you've got a MacBook, you can work at GigWage. And we actually, we supplied the MacBook, so I'm joking. And my CFO <laughs> does not have, or my VP of Finance and Operations does not have a, a MacBook. He needed what he needed for Excel. But yeah. um, hilarious. anyways, <laughs> when I hop on the Zoom, I, that's one of the fun things we get to do is say, where are you? Oh, I'm yeah. in Aruba. I'm in... Da, 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 da. I'm in Indonesia, I'm, and it's a really cool thing. Yeah, uh, I can remember one time my CTO and my VP of product my, ended up being my chief product officer. They both have moved on from the company now, but they did a three-month road trip. Mm-hmm. Just, just went nomadic on me, you know what I mean? And it was dope. <laughs> sounds like, like my kind of life. Yeah, that sounds like her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so when I so we have a, a couple of people here in Dallas and. We'll do dinner, we'll do lunches, we'll do happy hours and stuff like that. But, no, we're truly a dispersed remote team. And so the things I think about aren't really about the connectivity of each other in real life. I've got people that work for me for years that I've never met. David Diaz, I've never met him. Yeah. Like in person ever. And he's worked for me for years. We are cool. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. My VP of technology, I've never met him. I don't think I've met any of my engineers at this point in time. We are truly in the embodiment of remote and dispersed team. What we do, though, is we one of our other values is I demand that my team members and leadership teams stand in their greatness. Mm-hmm. So what I try to do is I touch people and connect with people in a different way. I try to embed in them the empowerment that they need to be the very best version of themselves, not just as an employee at GigWage, but as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a son. People have part-time stuff that they do on the side. What does it look like to stand in your greatness, and how can I and GigWage as a platform provide that for you so that you feel us in a different way? So that's GigWage in a nutshell, but like I said, we got people I ain't never met, fam. Yeah, Yeah. that's dope. He's convincing me on remote work. I'm not the biggest fan of remote work. I personally would love I've said this before. I would just love not to be weird, but I just love if we all lived in the same house yeah, and we yeah, just I built this big pro- uh, project. That you know, really product. is your dream. I know. No, like literally, that, that's that's how I am because yeah. I th- I think there's a little minutia or nuances sure. that you can learn within person. But it's definitely convincing hearing you because you this just have not, such an authentic approach. But though it's it's not about right or wrong. Yeah, either it's either about what works for you. Work. Yeah, <laughs> I have a work. I do have a question since you were saying how drastic your team was cut basically mm-hmm. within a year's span. And I don't want this to take away from the company culture no, no, aspect. No, I want real. this to play off of that. How would you say that you chose those people, your core people that you have now, sure. out of the selective group you had? What made you choose the core people that you have now? And do those people really reflect your company culture, your core values? Have they been able to stand upon that while being yeah. remote? Listen, let's have a real conversation. That's right? a great question. Some of the decisions that get made, listen, this stuff is this stuff is nuanced and it's complex. Every person that we had hired was amazing. Mm-hmm. Some of the decisions went into, are they amazing for us? If they're not, let's give them a chance to go be amazing where they need to be amazing. Sure. Some of the decisions were, is the ROI for this position there? Are we getting in return as a company, because as you, you are running a business, it's not a non-for-profit, are we getting the ROI from this position, not this person, but what we pay for this position, are we getting the ROI? If the answer is no, you've got to go. 
And then <laughs> come your slogan. <laughs> it is what it is. And, and then what gives the company the best chance to survive and thrive? And sometimes you make decisions that cut in a little bit deeper than you even really want to that right. that feel negative. That's the first layer. Then you look at the pool of people you're left with and you say, okay, not, nothing against any of the people that we let go, but who do I want to go to war with? Yeah. And who do I have to have? And so that's how those decisions were made. We did it. I think one of the most things I'm most proud of, not letting those people go, but how we did it, it was very professional. We've been asked, other companies have asked us on our playbook to do RIFs, workforce reductions. We handled it with efficiency. We handled it with empathy. What did that look like? Give it, paint us some pictures there. Yeah, we've got a whole like deck on this thing. And my, my chief of staff was very inter- instrumental in leading a lot of that effort. And I will tell you before I even tell you what it looked like it, tactically, which is I, I know what you're asking, what it looked like was a lot of tears, mm-hmm. a lot of emotion, a lot of good people getting let go, tears mm-hmm. from the people that got let go and tears from the people that stayed. Mm-hmm. So if that tells you anything about our culture, although it was tactical, it was very business-like, it was very efficient, it was very professional, and it was a, I hate to say this, but we did it with excellence, yeah. it still was emotional. Yeah. Um, that's what it looked like. It was one of the worst uh, two or three days that we had to endure yeah. preparing for it because I came, I had made the decision two days before a board meeting. It was the shortest board meeting we've ever had. I went into the board meeting and said, hey, this is the move for the company. So like a 45-minute board meeting. And that was, call it a Wednesday. And by Friday, we have fully executed across the organization. Packages, severance packages, reference letters, the whole nine. So it was very tactical, but it was very emotional. Now, let me have a very real conversation about that as, a, as an entrepreneur and a CEO. I was One of the things I learned and I've continuously learned over my journey is as difficult as that was, I was very proud that I was able to do it. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't have that. Yeah. Right. And it, again, I hated to do it. Mm-hmm. But I think the things that we hate to do, that we have to do, mm-hmm. you start to wonder if you have the ability, if you have the grit to get yeah. it done. And that was a, that was one of the bigger moments that I proved to myself that I could lead this company to sure. the stage that it needed to go. So there's a lot of mixed emotions that go into that. Yeah. I, I referred all of those people. I've been references for those people. I've hopped on calls with other companies. Pretty much everybody has been fully and gainfully employed and in great situations for themselves. And then we as a company were able to thrive and survive. That's good. I think not many people talk about like, how yeah. tough that experience is. A lot of people think that it's just like, all right, we're good to go. Yeah. Wipe the hands clean. It's not a succession episode. It's not that. It's very real. Which also speaks to like your company culture. Because if right. you didn't have a healthy company culture, that would be so easy to just yeah. let people go as their numbers, not actual people. Yeah. So obviously that speaks volume. Yeah. One other interesting piece is we call it went from almost 40 people to where we're at now, 11 or 12 FTEs. We didn't go 40 to 11 that day. There were some that self-selected out afterwards, and we knew that was going to happen too. So there was some transition for some of the others. And so that's also a part of the decision-making too, like who do you need to stick around a little bit longer, transition, 
there's a lot there. You have to look at vesting legally and just like doing the morally doing the right thing. How close are people to have being fully vested? Yeah. You don't want to look weird and be letting people go and they need it like 30 days to get another <laughs> all right. kind of stuff. Yeah. And again, you could do a whole podcast on workforce reductions and yeah. layoffs. Mm-hmm. Especially is, in tech, yeah. It is Especially nuts. in this climate. In yeah. this climate, yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. A lot of people have showed you how not to do it. And but like to your point, no one talks about it. And yeah. I, right. I think it has I think it's a tribute to your culture and I, I touched on authenticity a, a little bit ago, but like when you're handling things in an authentic way, in transparent way, where yeah. it's like, hey, this is who I am, I'm up front, I think that's a, a strength that mm-hmm. like a lot of people underestimate. I would I would bet that the vast majority of those people that ended up letting go would still probably speak very highly of me and the company. There's probably yeah. a couple yeah. that are sour. Yeah, I'm sure there are. But listen, man, it, it was just it's what had to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we tried to go above and beyond. And then me sharing this is just real. Right. right you know, I ain't got nothing to hide. It is like it works. you had to look at sacrifices. This really interesting thing. We had to sacrifice twenty some odd people. But again. At the end of this month, we'll have half a million independent contractors on our platform that depend on us for payment and services. I have yeah. another question that usually isn't asked in this manner. After you did do those layoffs, the employees that you were left with, obviously they did have attachments to those other people. They had connections, work relationships. How did you cultivate that culture that you were left with to be able to make that like your best culture yet. And especially if you had a bunch of people, more numbers in the workforce and they, that was reduced, they were probably loaded with more work. So how did totally. you cultivate that? Yeah, it was a transition. I think the first couple of weeks was no man's land. It was just mm-hmm. like, people were like, what? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, sure. It was very weird. You know what I mean? And I had to get my thoughts together and rally the troops. That is my job as the CEO is mm-hmm. to take the people that are here and get them motivated, get them enthusiastic, and get them to buy into the new direction and vision. So we took a couple weeks. People's friends were gone. People were wondering what was next. What does this mean? Is the company in trouble? All of this kind of stuff. But once I think, once the dust settled, for me, what it was really about was getting everybody realigned on the vision. And what we did was the company's mission didn't change, economic empowerment, Mm -hmm payroll, technology, that that stuff didn't change. But what I was able to, I think, galvanize the team around was instead of trying to build the Navy, we are going to be Navy SEALs. Right. That yeah. was a concept. We were going to be world-class individually, and this was everybody's opportunity to get better. And one of our core values is what? stand in their greatness. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what it was started to really be about opportunity, leadership. The this is a moment to not get caught up in your emotions and understand that there's tremendous economic opportunity in front of us, not just for yourselves, but for our customers and their contractors. And so right. I think we had we were left with a group of people that could buy into that. Yeah. And then it was just my job to really bring that to the surface. How long would you say that whole transition took? I would say we did the riff in uh, March of 22. I think by June, we were humming. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think by June, we had really found our stride. 
we had started to uh, march to the beat of efficiency and profitability. And we started to take pride in being a small team and figuring out additional AI and automation. And like we had just leaned into that and it was starting to show up in the numbers. So two, two, three months, we were back on track and it, and it was showing in the numbers, which was dope. And so people were excited about that. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. We got a team of six and, we refer to ourselves as still Team Six. Bingo! So you can't steal that from us. That's us. Yeah, yeah, got ice it. Ice in our veins. Yeah, we got ice in our veins. <laughs> That's what we call it. When y'all hire the next person, I know. I'm be mad. <laughs> be mad. Seven. Right. Be seven. <laughs> but yeah, man, I love how you keep things like simple. And I remember when you shared your core values, it was just three of them. Do you mind like sharing them yeah. and what, why you chose those three? And I was like, dang, <laughs> made me look at my core values. I was like, we got. I was like, we got, as a matter of fact, we got seven. And I was like, seven. man, we might need to cut down because, like, those the, of, you got the more three was just like, people. exactly. <laughs> hey, brought on an intern, so we're okay, equal right said, now. Okay, there we go. There we go. One value per person. <laughs> yeah, we all carry that value. Yeah, so, so, oh, that was funny. For the, longest, <laughs> for the longest, we only had one. Yeah. We had one value because I take them very seriously. Which was what? What was your first uh, the one? The very first one was lead with empathy. Mm. Okay. And one of the things we talk about is, listen, empathy does not absolve you of accountability, but it's really important, whether it's your peer, a customer, or a contractor, or a partner, to at least have the ability to understand where they're coming from. You don't have to agree, but can you, like, understand, can you try to be empathetic to their position, their perspective? Right. Yeah. Super right. important. And it's if you really lean into it, it's tough, and I've been accused of this. <laughs> Uh, check it out. You can start to, I've been accused of gaslighting because say two individuals have an issue with each other in the company and the, the individual comes to me empathetically. One of the things I would push them to do is really look at the other person's perspective. Sure. When it oftentimes they want me to just hear their perspective. And I'm like, no, but when the other person comes to me about you, I'm going to tell them to do the same thing. But people start to think you don't care about what I'm saying. Right. But what I was trying to do was instill our value of lead with empathy but if they're coming to me, they're not looking for to be told to be empathetic to the other position. They want right. me to be empathetic to them. So this right. is a really interesting dynamic, right. which is why we had one for a while because I was like, I got to figure this one out, right, and, and make sure we, we get this one through. <laughs> so the first one was lead with empathy, and that today still remains something that I think is just extremely important, Whether again, no matter who we're dealing with. Uh, the second one is solve for X. So I am obsessed with problem solvers. Um you know, whatever the thing is, whatever X is, can you solve for it? Mm-hmm. That may be internal, external pricing. People come to me all the time with these problems and I'm like, okay, yeah, you got a problem. Solve for it. And I think that is a big part of our culture is like problem solving. And then one of the things I'm trying to do is empower people to solve bigger and harder problems. How do you do that? Give me a realistic picture of what that looks like. This is something that came up on actually one of the last podcasts. The same, it was a similar tactic. It's actually not complex. It, people try to make this out to be like, you got to have some kind of like problem solving training or something. Like, listen, people quit on themselves and they give up, and something gets difficult or something gets hard, and they say, I can't figure it out. I have a problem. If you come to me for years, what I did was I'd give you the answer. Mm-hmm. I just say, oh, do this. And they'd be like, oh. Yeah. And it's some CEO magic or some shit. And I'm like, it's not right. CEO magic. I just right. I just solved the problem. Right. Like I just and, and it's because I'm not obsessed with being right or wrong. 
I'm obsessed with moving forward. And so what I had to start doing, which was very difficult for me, was when people would bring me the problem, I would say I'd listen to them, I'd hear them out, I'd have my answer in my head, which is not the only answer because it's not about right or wrong. And then I'd say, give me a solution. How, how do you think we should solve it? I think we should do, that sounds amazing. Yep. Maybe tweak it right here. And eventually it's, people just start to get the confidence that they could do it. We've tried other things like, so like one of the things I do with my board, I have a 30-minute session in a board meeting we call working sessions where I bring the most complex issue or topic at hand for me as a CEO in the company. The way I wrap the problem-solving set is I bring two options. I bring the problem, and then I bring two options, and then I make my recommendation of those two options. And then I get the feedback and we stress test it. So I do that internally as well, too. If it's something really complex, bring me your suggestions. Bring me the options for how you think we should solve it. And then let's just dialogue and stress test that. And again, the repetition of that gives people confidence. And then just also believing in me. So I had a, I won't say the position or the thing, because we do have a small team and people can back into it. But one of one of the people in my team, I had to basically just send them a message and say, I give you permission to go. Yeah. I give you, you, you don't second guess it. Don't get stuck. I think that's so powerful. Just not go. a lot of leaders will do that. Yeah. I was like, just go. I was like, and if you go too far, I swear to God, I'll reel you in and it'll be okay. <laughs> but just go. Yeah. Go be great. That's what I hired you to do, which leads into our third value, which is standing your greatness. And that, and, and I think we may talk in six months, a year from now, and, and these may get tweaked a little bit and maybe even get a, a touch more specific as I'm learning and continue to grow. But mm. this lead with empathy, solve for X, and stand in your greatness, a willingness to be more than you are today, a willingness to – we went through a spell where I would ask my leadership team, what would greatness look like today? There's what there's your task and there's what you're going to do in your meetings and all of this. But what would a great version of you look like today? And I would make them answer that question. And it's, it's a, a good hard, question. That is a great question. It is a hard question to answer. <clears throat> End of this week, what would great look like? Yeah, I would do that. I said, no, that that sounds like task to me. What would great look like? And mm. it was this was, and we got away from that a little bit, but we spent months doing that and just really pushing people to think. If you looked in the mirror and at the end of the week and said. Man, I was great this week. What would that look like? And then go do that. That's right. what I do. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, go do yeah. some dope-ass shit and Straight be up. great. And so those are our values. Lead with empathy, solve for X, and stand in your greatness. Yeah, no, those are powerful. Because once I heard them, I was just like, dang, those sound so succinct. And then it all matches and aligns up with who you are and, like, your story. And I think that's the magic, the magic behind the CEO, right? It's mm-hmm. can you create a brand where it's authentic and something that actually aligns with who you are and then the people that you hire. So many times I've seen it where you have leaders, they not only are afraid to hire someone who is going to stand in their greatness, but then they hire someone who's like a BC type of player Mm -hmm. that doesn't even necessarily align with the company's vision or their values. What advice do you, would you give to like those uh, early founders who are either just coming off of a raise and they need to go higher or they're looking to go into a, a, a different niche in there? They're hiring new people. What would you what advice would you give them? Yeah. Two, two, there's just really two things. You need to hire people that are just flat out better than you. Mm-hmm. 
See, the thing about being a CEO or an entrepreneur is you've got a risk appetite. You've got some something about you to do the thing, but that doesn't mean you're the best at it. You right. just yeah. have the you just you did it. You had the vision. Right. So you need to go out and hire people that are better than you at finance, at sales, at whatever, tech. And then for the people that aren't better than you, because, you know, building a company is hard. And you, you talk about BNC players. That's one way to look at it. There's also, like, the second piece of not hiring people that are better than you but are hiring what we call stretch individuals. They have the capacity, capability, and the interest in being better. Mm. Those are really powerful yeah. people to hire, too. They may not be it right now, right. but they have what it takes to become it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's part of your job as a leader, too. And then you've got to figure out the balance of how many of those, when to hire, stretches, when not to hire. But, yeah, if you're hiring, you've got to be looking for the absolute best people possible. And then you've got to be hiring people that want to be the best. Because I, I, I truly believe it's not how good you are. I think it's how good do you want to be. Right. So when we say stand in your greatness, what I'm saying is, are you willing to go be better? Right. Are you willing to be more? And so that's who you need to look to hire. Just because their resume stacks up, that, that they may be great. But how good do they want to be? How great do they want to be? Mm-hmm. And then you do have to take into consideration whether it's a – an amazing person or a stretch person, how does it fit? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part that people really leave out right. is fit. Because you get in a rush and you need to hire, you need to fill a position and ah, check, check. How does this person fit yeah. into what we're building? Because we all know one sour apple, right? Mm-hmm. So I think those are my three things. Find people that are the absolute uh, best version of, of what you're looking for and are better than you. Find people that want to be amazing, and then find people that fit collectively. Nice. And before That's we great. like come to a, a, a close, a wrap up. How do you? It's, it's a twofold question. How do you like identify greatness in other people, and then how can someone identify the greatness within themselves? Yeah, I think this thing about this is a tough one for me because I'm an extremely optimistic person, mm-hmm. um, and I used to struggle with misidentifying greatness because I could see it. Yeah. They didn't see it for themselves. And they didn't see it for themselves, mm-hmm. which is what actually matters. So it doesn't really – what I need to see is not your greatness because I can see it in every single person. I need to see if you see it, and when, and I don't know how to really describe that, but when people tap into their greatness, it's just obvious. It's, feeling, right? yeah. it's just obvious. Yeah. And then if you don't have that, I need to feel like you have the ability to see it eventually. Mm-hmm. And there's – breadcrumbs or examples of that throughout people's lives. And you can actually talk about it. It's like the question I ask my team internally. What does great look like? Tell me a time when you were, were great. And then that answer will tell me, I'm like, oh, that wasn't really great. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. They don't really know, right? And that's not a knock, but it's just, it's like, just like, uh, like yeah. no, you, you went to first grade. <laughs> you know, so I think being very direct about it and people that have the potential to be great, if they haven't tackled that question before, they'll tell you like, let me think about that. Let me get back yeah. to you. That, to me, is a sign of greatness because yeah. one of the parts of being great, you have first, before you can be great and improve, you have to be, like, really self-aware. self-aware yep. mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where, yeah. where so, you're at. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I think asking those direct questions can be very helpful. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Um, all right. We can close with this. This is actually from previous people that we've interviewed. Okay. A jar of questions. A jar of questions. You like are going to take the top question. It's a pink one. 
Oh, I I'll let you pick. do the owners or honors. Go ahead and take off the top and then How pull you out tell the me which one to pick. Because we've already answered most of the others, and then I'll have you, oh, you. also write one so and this leave is it. Scripted. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This no, is like we don't know what the question we don't, is. Yeah, we don't know what the question is. So essentially, what we'll do is we'll have a guest. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> so all of these uh, guests. They've all been all answered. Of these questions. Yes. Yeah, I've guessed. Well, y'all need to get these out of here. And put some new ones in here. No, it grows every time. <laughs> you can't just tell me what to. Be. No. It's <laughs> I guess, I guess eventually like a, we can start reusing them and have people. Uh, when you look back on your legacy, what do you want to be known for? Damn. Ooh, and we start off with legacy. That's crazy. Here we are. And that's all, they're always like usually tied to the person, too. It's, it's mm-hmm. energy. Yeah, that's dope. Mm-hmm. What I want to be known for, listen, I want to be known for creating tremendous wealth. Not for myself, necessarily. That's a part of it. But for everybody that was involved with me. My family, my friends, employees, my shareholders, my customers, tremendous wealth, exponential wealth, unyielding, unrelentless, astronomical wealth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just returns on returns. Yeah. Yeah. And now what comes with that is what's powerful though. What that enables and what that embodies and what that means that I've done throughout my life and the impact that I've had. This kind of comes down to legacy for me is about impact. How many people can I touch? How many people can I help? How many people can I empower? We live in a capitalistic world. If I can create tremendous wealth for others by my efforts, my energy, my activity, my results, then I think I've done something pretty special. And I think that the last name Lewis and my teenage parents can be celebrated. Mm -hmm. And that's what it means to me. Yeah. Solid. Awesome, and I'll that put is. this back in here so somebody else cannot pull it. <laughs> then I gotta write one, right? Yeah, yes, we'll I write, write one for one the next year. Awesome, I think that's a wrap. You have any other questions? I mean, I do, but I don't want to leave it on a bad note, so this might just be bonus content. Yeah, that's um, cool. Eight thirty-four, and may just use this one on a on a separate cast. But I, I gotta just know, and it's something like I said when I first connected with you. I worked so hard to not have that perspective of man, I'm a black entrepreneur in this like white world. Because it's just not the best energy or, or, or best foot forward, right? If you yeah. want to get things done, like, you can't have that resentment or those negative thoughts. Could you tell us a little bit about, like, your experience being, like, a black founder in the finance space, which is typically dominated by white men? Mm-hmm. What has that experience been like for you? And do you feel like there's disadvantages that you've had to overcome simply because of the way you look? Yeah, the answer is yes. There's disadvantages to being black. (laughs) There's disadvantages (laughs) to being female. There's disadvantages to being any number of things. The mentality that I've adopted is that your disadvantages are your advantage. Mm -hmm. Right. Period. Like you were talking about earlier with the poverty situation. Period. So being black is as a disadvantage, which it is, I've just learned to use that as my advantage. I don't have the same background that everyone has. I don't have the same education that they have. I can't tap into. I'm learning a lot of stuff on the fly, even to this day. Right. Yeah. But what the hell else would I be doing? I want to learn. And so for me, the way that I've adapted to not being consumed with the fact that I'm black, because most rooms, I'm the only one in there. Well, now Jay be with me. So. It'd be me and Jay. <laughs> uh, shout out to Jay. Shout What's out to Jay. But, no, you, you just can't be consumed with that. There's a place and time to have that conversation, 
there's a place and time to hold people accountable. But for me, the way to win is to win. Mm-hmm. Black, white, male, female, uh, short, tall, in shape, out of shape, eh, call it what you want. Somebody that is what you are and has your disadvantage has won before. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can win too. Right. So that's the mentality that I take. So, yeah, have I ran into stuff and heard stuff? And can I tell you countless stories that I think may or may not have been tied to being black? Sure. <laughs> But there's not an entrepreneur on the face of the earth that can't tell you about difficult moments and times. Right. Listen, watch this. If I'm raising a, a, a million dollars, mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to tell me no. Right. Does it really matter why they told me no? No. The mm-hmm. only thing that actually matters is that I get somebody to tell me yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can create this list of, okay, I talked to 10 people. Three of them told me no because we were too early stage. Three of them told me no because they didn't have money. Three of them told me no because I'm black. Nine people told me no. The 10th one told me, yes, I raised a million. We keep it pushing. That's how I really look at it. So is it a thing? Absolutely. Am I consumed by that thing or any of the other things that people tell me no because? Absolutely not. Right. Absolutely not. That is not a winning mentality. That is a waste of time. Mm. That is a waste of time. And so listen, do I if you look at my content and you look at a lot of the press and stuff we've done, do I talk about being black? And absolutely, but I just talk about it a little bit different. Right. I, it is obvious that I'm black in these rooms. <laughs> you feel me? It is obvious that I'm a part of the the one percent of black people that have raised money and I'm a part of an even smaller group that's raised real money. You feel right. me? Yeah. But listen, sometimes that has played out to my advantage. Like literally being black is played to my advantage. So Mm -hmm. you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, you're going to have some advantages, you're going to have some disadvantages. That shit don't really matter. Listen, you you can build the perfect CEO. Right. And if you follow these CEOs that are like uber successful, they've got these morning routines and there's just like a blueprint of what success is supposed to look like. Everybody can't fall into that category. But if you actually look at the data, all kind of people are successful. Right. Yeah. Now, are pale, stale, and male predominantly <laughs> the successful people? Sure. We've had laws and issues with America that have made it really possible. Warren Buffett said the reason he's Warren Buffett is because he was a white male born when he was born. Couldn't have done it any other way. That's, 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 that's just reality, real. yeah. But are there successful black people? Yes. Are there yeah. successful women? Are there successful handicapped people? Are there successful out-of-shape people? Lots of them. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that people have overcome those disadvantages. If you're trying to do something, now listen, I'm not talking about the everyday American. I'm talking about people that are trying to be unique and rare and special. It just doesn't. It's too small of a thing to matter. So that's a really long-winded answer to say, listen, being black is a disadvantage, but your disadvantages have to become your advantages. And if you're going to win, you just have to win. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Is that mentality, you're born with that mentality, or is that something learned? You just have to win. (laughs) Period. (laughs) If you think you were born with it, great. If you don't think you were born with it, get it. Yeah. yeah. It just, yeah. It just go get it. Yeah. Ain't no right or wrong in right. this game. I can guarantee Facts. you there are billionaires that say they were born to be billionaires. And then there are billionaires that'll tell you, I just figured it out over time. It's just, there's no one right game. answer. So you take what you have and you solve for X. Right. Mm-hmm. I got this. I got this. Here are my ingredients. 
Here's what I don't have. I even go as far as telling my team, okay, solve for X. And if you can't solve X, mm-hmm. solve for it without solving for X. Right. Get it done. Right. Like, what does that look like? Okay, right. I, I don't know how to solve for X. This is the problem. So solve it without X. Yeah, solve for N. You, you, you get get me what I need. You yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> Was like, that something that you learned? Did that really test your leadership skills? Because I feel like a lot of leaders just don't have that ability to, like, freely allow their team to go, like you talk Listen, about. It's actually a, the best leaders. It's, ne- it's a necessity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You will run yourself ragged solving mm-hmm. every problem, fixing everything. You can't scale that way. It Your, your mental health. Yeah. Will be horrible. Yeah. Your every, every uh, not every, a lot of CEOs go through a uh, a, a poor physical state. I, mm-hmm. I'm coming, I'm in it, about to come out of mind now where you just, <laughs> you don't take care of yourself physically. Right. Because you're just so engaged and so involved and you're, you can't be distracted by any other thing. Mental health will suffer. Your physical health will suffer. Like you cannot, you have to empower people that are better than you and have the potential to be better than you to do things. Right. Literally, I, I, I think I just posted something on you. You got to fire yourself from everything. Right. Mm-hmm. If I got to solve it, what, what did I hire you for? Mm-hmm. My job is not to solve that problem. I hired right. you to solve that problem. And that right. has to be, so you can almost flip that mentality into it's the ego that doesn't allow people to let other people solve problems. Yep. It's my ego that says I shouldn't be solving that problem. Oh, yeah. You got to right. flip it. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm. Why, why am I solving that? You, I pay you to solve that, and you want to be paid to solve that. And the number one thing of the other side of this is from from an employee perspective, leader, employee, whatever. You want to solve your CEO's problems. Mm-hmm. You got to want to solve those problems. The people that do that win. Right. Right. Solve my problems for me. It will take you really far. Right. Straight up. That's facts. Is and that so, something you look for in hiring? Hell yeah. Who want to take something <laughs> off my plate? Yeah. That's what I'm looking yeah. for. And, and, and do you have what it takes? No, seriously. No, straight yeah. up. Facts. Like, I need yeah. to be trying to figure out my next move, what I'm doing in this company to be a value because y'all right. are doing everything. I'm going through a phase in the company now where I've several of my team members have really stepped up. They run really large portions of the company. And I'm crafting a new version of what I spend my time doing to bring yeah. value to the company. Yeah. And then... I'm telling them, hey, you better get somebody to take that on because mm-hmm. they, they're seeing, like, how stressful it is and how diff- running, solving, and leading is, is difficult. So when you take that off my plate, now you've taken on that stress. So now your job, someone else up to your job is to hire somebody better than you. Mm-hmm. This is how you build great companies. This is why the great companies in the world are amazing. This is right. why Elon Musk can run multiple companies quote unquote run multiple companies because the people actually running those companies are world class. Right. Right. This is why you like I mean, when I say world class, world class. Right. And what does he do? He just keeps innovating, keeps adding mm-hmm. controversy or whatever. But you've got to hire people better than you. And it trickles down through the organization. Yeah. I had to learn this I wouldn't even say the hard way, but it's it's something that like definitely was a growth or pain point for myself because I'm someone who I can go all day, yeah. every day. I'm up at five. I'm working till 11. It's yeah. just naturally in me. Yeah. But, uh, is but, that, the, but is that dope though? No. So exactly. So to, <laughs> you, <laughs> no, to your, saying? to your point, like, like cause I've done to, that. No, to, no, no, let's feel it, me though. Yeah, no, no, but yeah. what's really dope is 
I got a team right. that goes from five to eleven. Right. This is why I said you remember early in the interview I said we want to get to the point to where customer support is twenty four seven, and we do this with development now where we have a team of developers that work U.S. hours, and then they tee up work when they go to sleep and tee it off to our overseas developers, so that when we go to sleep they start their work. So then when they go to sleep, they kick it back to us. US, so we're yeah. developing 24-7. Now, if I was trying to be something, I couldn't do it 24-7. But if you start to empower people, mm-hmm. then 5 to 11 is actually pretty weak. Right. If you had a team of people that was running 24-7, right. how much better would the company this be? Right? Exactly that's, the where, that's the and mentality. I know you're there, that's exactly where I that's was where going. The, that's where the mentality has yeah. to be. It can't be about... How hard can you go? Because you can't scale. You just can't. Yeah, You'll exactly. You'll be a small business. This is what small business owners do. Right. But there's no scale there. Watch this. Yeah. I want to work three hours a day. Right. Yeah. I need to get to the point to where I'm making three major decisions a month. Right. And then I want to get to the point to where I need to make one to two key decisions a year. Yeah. So I want to spend three to six months thinking about this key decision that I need to make. Yeah. Make it, have hundreds of millions and billions of dollars of impact, and then do it again. Right. And so if I look at Satya Nadal or if I look at Mark Zuckerberg or if I look at Robert Smith or if I look at Oprah, man, they're not making critical decisions all day every day. Right. Right. They're thinking they're envisioning, they're planning, yeah. they're researching, they're experiencing. Now that, but, but the companies are humming, right? So that's the goal, right? For me, is how do I hire people that are better than me, so that they can hire people that are better than them, so that they can hire mm-hmm. people that are better than them, so that I can just keep uh, innovating and and building this tremendous shareholder customer and employee value that I want to build. And it takes a lot of brain power to do that. Right. It's, it's definitely all about thinking. I'm going to come back to thinking in just a second. But to like before the applicable insight that you just shared, I had a mentor that shared something similar to me half a year ago. And it, it really stuck with me because he was just like, you go hard. I follow you. You go you go 10 out of 10. You, you're going hard. But imagine if you had three other people and if they were just working half as you, yeah. it's 50%, 50%, 50%, you go 100%, that's still 150%, 150%. right? And I was like, damn, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. But I want to follow up and say, before I get back to thinking, is do you feel like people who come from similar backgrounds from us have to go through that? And if it doesn't, take the background out of it, but just like, do you think that early founders, entrepreneurs have to go through that grit or is it just automatically? Yeah, no, you got to learn it. I don't, if somebody tells you out of the gate, I think, but yeah, everybody, I think everybody goes through that, right? Bill Gates was talking about it recently. He was like, yeah, he was like, man, I didn't take no time off. I was like, it was nuts Mm -hmm. how he used to work. And, you know, he come from a pretty good background. Right. But look what he built. But yeah, I think you have you definitely have to learn it. And that doesn't mean you don't work hard, right? You right, may not right. get to the point to where you want to make two key decisions a year. That's my goal, my yeah. vision. That's Jeff Bezos' level right there. Yeah, I'm with it. I'm yeah. down. <laughs> uh, you know, I, that's a topic for another company. I come up with, I don't, I always talk about not having a North Star. I think a lot. I study a lot. I research a lot. So I'm sure I pull from a lot of different places and it comes out how it comes out. But I say a lot of things oftentimes and people will be like, oh, somebody said that or somebody is like, 
And I'm, I ain't trying to be funny, but I'm like, that's me. Right. You know what I mean? But it's cool to see, like, when people be like, oh, that's, he was like, oh, that's Jeff Bezos right there. I'm like, oh, okay. But that's Craig. That's yeah. me. That's my work. That's my thinking. That's my, my, my grandma used to say ain't nothing new under the sun. So I know <laughs> n- none of this stuff that I say is new, but it is a, it is genuine and original to me. Yeah. But it always often aligns with others, other folks that are great. And that's a good sign. I, so I really appreciate it. But I also, I'm aware that I'm like, nah, you know what I'm saying? That's just, that's what I woke up with. You yeah. know what I mean? Nah, facts. And yeah. the, back to back to thinking. There's times where I wasn't able to think because I'm thinking right. about how I'm going to pay my bills, how I'm going to keep it's the lights on, how mode. survival mode. So, like, for those who aren't able to think because they're in survival mode, what for? what's next for yeah. them? Like, how do how they get, get out, out of that? that to be able to think? Because, like, when you're able to think, when I'm able to think, I can make shit happen. Yeah. But then there's times where I've had you're an experience suffocated. where you're suffocating yeah. and yeah. you can't think. I don't know the recipe for that. I don't think I've been so far gone from that to where I can look back in hindsight and offer advice. I think, not even think I know that you have years on me to where you, you probably can get that 30,000 zoom out and, and look and maybe offer some advice or insight as to like, how do you put yourself in a place to be able to think? Yeah. I think you'd probably be surprised that at every stage of your journey, you get suffocated. There's no like, you know, you know, like, trust me. Yeah. Jeff Bezos was suffocated at Amazon and they were working. Yeah. It happens because new levels, new devils, right? I think what's really important is, though, that you use, and this goes back to what I was talking about with what I look for in people, you use that desire as motivation. Right. I want to be able to think. Mm. I want to be able to stand in my greatness as motivation to solve for the current problem, solve for X. So it's not about, like, how you do it because there's infinite issues that people may be suffocated with but the motivation to level up Mm. the interest and the desire to level up will force you to solve that problem so that you can level up that's like the nuance of it's not about the actual thing that you do it's about where you want to be and who you want to become so if you want to be in a place to think if you want to be in a place to think uh stand in your greatness if you want to be in a place to take a vacation, if you want to be in a place to spend more time with your family, if you want to be in a place to hire that next employee, you have to solve. Right. And I think that willingness and interest and desire to be at the next level is really where the power resides. Like it's not, again, it's not a tactical thing. It's uh, it's some next level, real spiritual, mental personality trait type stuff. I it's again, it's not where I'm at. It's not how good I am or how bad I am. It's where do I want to be and how great do I want to be and use that motivation to mm-hmm. get there. Yeah. That's what I've always done. I I don't have all the answers, but the reason I saw for X or I saw for it without X is because I'm just determined to get to this next stage yeah. in the journey. Boom. That mental toughness at. like you're talking about mm-hmm. earlier. Mental yeah. toughness, mental tenacity, mental endurance. Yeah. It's just, man, you've got to play the mind game. Yeah. yeah. No, that's facts. That's it's beautiful. a real game. It's a real yeah. game. And I think it's the perfect place to end, man. This has been a blast. This has been so fun. I'm glad we had this chance and hear directly from your thoughts. 
Yeah. And you have it. a very powerful mind that I think that it's still untapped. Like you is I, I think that Gig Wage has so much potential because of the climate that we're in. Right. Everything that you stand for is the alignment with where the the world's shifting and the world's heading. Yeah. And if you're able to harness that what you already are doing, teams able to harness that, I think that is gonna do numbers yeah. and shareholders, investors, community, sure. everyone's gonna be impacted in a very exponential way and i'm yeah. glad i got to witness it we yeah. were talking about like being 2020 we're 2020, sitting down in 2020 in the office late, the nights excited. you was yeah. coming through offering advice things that we didn't have to pay for we didn't get no invoice for the <laughs> advice you sit down look at the deck and things like yeah. that for us that was very helpful to us and we appreciate you appreciate you keeping that connection and, and part of and the coming journey down here part of the journey yeah no i yes, appreciate sir. y'all having me on this was dope and uh, I, I like where y'all going with it man culture is super important to an organization, but it's also super important individually, like who you are, what you're about. And so I think you guys, what you're offering to your customers and what you're doing with this podcast and just keeping this topic um, in the light is it's powerful. It's important. And it's something that everything that can be counted don't count, but everything that count can't necessarily be counted. Ooh, bars. Um, and I think culture kind of falls into that bucket. Feel me? And yeah. even though you guys are, putting the effort in to count to quantify yeah, it i get it <laughs> yeah but there's also some of that genesis qua type you know what I'm saying? Yeah. it just some of it's, it's like fashion it's, yeah. it's just got a hit and i think keeping that conversation top of mind is important and so i was ex- excited to to be able to carve out some time and come politic with y'all kick some actual factual and appreciate y'all having me yes sir appreciate you thank man. you for being here uh, let's ready. get it it was another good day we had another good day and if you line up enough good days fuck around have a good life